be looking at Genesis chapter 12. I'd ask you to turn um, to that scripture. So Genesis chapter 12, and we will be reading initially verses 1 to 9. Again, I ask you to keep scripture open this morning so that you can be uh, looking as we go through um, what we're discussing this morning. Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 9. The Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abraham went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abraham was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran. And they set out for the land of Canaan and they arrived there. Abraham traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Morah at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abraham and said to your offspring, I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who appeared to him. From there, he went on towards the hills uh, east of Bethel and pitched his tent, with Bethel on the west and I on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Then Abraham set out and continued towards the Negev. Amen, and may God bless this reading of his word. It seems every time that I stand before you guys uh, in a morning, I say something along the lines of, I'm so excited to bring the word to you this morning. And uh, I suppose you might be getting sick of hearing that, but I'd just like to say, it's possibly a good thing that I get excited about God's word. If I was up here saying how boring what I brought, what I'm going to bring you this morning was, you'd really need to consider my future in this place. We are all about God's word. We should be wanting to dig into it. We should be wanting to know God's purpose and reason for the message that we have. Can I just have my slides up, please? Thank you. Sweet. And so this morning, we're going to be looking at the beginning of the story of Abraham. And particularly this morning, we have the covenant that is laid before us. And uh, I'm just going to be skimming over the top of this. Uh, You know, there's just so much we could get from this chapter of Scripture. But I really want us to hear from God what he's calling us to do this morning. So before we get into it, um, let's just pray. Father God, we thank you for your presence in this place. We thank you for the gifts, talents and abilities of people who serve here. And Lord, we just want to take some time to prepare our hearts and minds before you. We want to hear you, Lord. We want to interact with you. And and, and that's my desire, Lord, that this isn't just words on a page. This isn't just words I'm proclaiming and saying. This is your voice. And I've learned, hopefully as much as the people gathered here this morning will, open our hearts and our minds to hear from you. It needs to be a movement of Holy Spirit. We need him here today, Lord. So minister to us as we have need, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So as chapter 11 ends, um, we find that Terah, Abraham's father, turn it on had decided for some reason to leave Ur. And he took his family and everything that he possessed and he travelled towards Canaan. And along the way, for some reason, he decides to settle at Haran. 
And the first thing that is interesting about this is the fact that they're over here in Ur, in the right. Has this thing got one? Oh, look at that. Okay, so they're over here in Ur. And so they're going to travel towards Canaan. And Canaan is actually over here. What did we learn last week in chapter 11? That the people, when they move east, are moving away from God. Which way are these guys moving? They're moving west. And so this is the first inclination of people moving west. And we know that Abraham is this man who is called the father of faith. And he has started to move west. In fact, from Ur to Canaan is almost due west. But then they had this little um, stop off up here at Haran. And uh, that, that's where we are at the start of this. But they are moving basically due west, which I actually find very interesting to consider as we begin to look at this chapter. And the thing is, when we look at the incredible blessings of Abraham, I have this habit of just looking at the incredible stuff that God actually did for him. And, and I don't really think about anything that cost Abraham. But in fact, when you look at his culture and, and the way that they lived, there was huge cost to him. And so that's first and foremost, God's call costs. And as, as I've, I might as well just say straight out, I don't know if I'm just too dumb or just too simple or what, but I, I just think about the blessings that God poured out upon Abraham. I don't think about the fact that, um, you know, in, in, calling God, in calling Abraham, God's saying, you know, I'll make a great nation of you. I'll give you a family. I'll make your name great uh, amongst the people. And, and through him, all nations will be blessed. That God's going to give him land and everything like that. I focus on that. And I think this is absolutely phenomenal. God's called this man out. And he's going to make him so great that he will be remembered for generations and generations. In fact, thousands of years. But... In order for Abraham to receive all of that, in order for Abraham to trust God, he initially had to make some sacrifices. He initially had to take some steps, which would cost him greatly. And in Genesis 12, 1, it says, Now the Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And Abraham has settled in this land of Haran, up towards the top on that map. And that's where his father Terah lived. And it would be comfortable, it would be familiar, it would possibly be a relatively tough life. They would have been Bedouin-style people, they would have been raising sheep perhaps. But he'd be amongst his brethren. He would enjoy his earthly father's inheritance when that time actually come. And keep in mind, in the middle of all of this, Abraham's wife is infertile. She's not looking like having any kids. And the importance of family is actually heightened because they have no family of their own. And it's not looking like they're going to. And so the call of the people, of their friends, of their family would be to continue to be surrounded by those who love and care for them. And so when God speaks, Abraham's got to make a decision. Should he leave everything that he knows, the security that he has, and step into the unknown? Trusting that God is going to fulfill his promises to Abraham. We need to think back too to what was going on in chapter 11. What was important to those people that um, were building the Tower of Babel? They wanted to make a name for themselves. 
They wanted to build this city and this tower so people would just glorify them. God actually wasn't in it. The choices were more about them and displacing God from their lives, being disobedient to his call. And um, they wanted to do what they wanted rather than what God had commanded them to do. And then God comes to Abraham, a guy who's not really known for anything much in scripture except being faithful to God he didn't write any psalms he didn't do any great feats or anything like that and God says to Abraham I will make your name great and the thing is Abraham just have to obey and it's obedience that brings blessing it's the same today obedience brings blessing And when we think about being blessed by God, the first thing that we should keep in mind is when we experience that blessing, it brings us into favor with God. It means we fall under his care and protection. His hand will be over us. His hand will be over Abraham. And what God actually says to Abraham is, I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And when Abraham responds, all he's got is God's word. Nothing else. God hasn't given him the specifics of what's going to happen. God hasn't said, well, you go here and do this and then this will happen. You go here and do this and this will happen. God just says, I will do it. End of story. And Abraham's got to step out in faith with that. In verse 1, God says, Abraham is to go from the land uh, to the land that he will show him. And this is hugely significant at this time. Think about what has been happening up until this point in history when the land and the people are mentioned. It's about the people continuously moving from place to place, moving further and further away from God. They didn't have a land. They didn't have a place to settle. And the only time settlement is spoken about in Scripture to this point is when the people are in direct disobedience to God. And so when God speaks to Abraham and says, I will give you a land... You will no longer have to wander as people have before. This will be your land. This can be where you will settle down, you and your people. Think again, back to chapter 11. These people have decided they'll settle and they'll gather together rather than be dispersed through the land as God had told them to. But God says, Abraham, I'll give you a land. You can settle. The people in chapter 11 wanted to make that name for themselves, but God says if Abraham obeys him, he will make his name great. Not because of who Abraham is, but because of who God is and because of the word that God has spoken. And what we need to realize, God didn't call Abraham to give up anything that God was not going to replace. He's asked to leave his land. God promises him a new land. And we know that when Abraham arrives in this land, God says he will give to Abraham everything his foot lands on, to him and his descendants. Abraham is asked to leave the security and comfort of his extended family, his kin, something that has much greater meaning in those days than now. And God says that he'll give Abraham a family that will become a great nation, that Abraham's descendants will be as numerous as the stars. Keep in mind at this point, Abraham is 75. He has a barren wife. And yet he believes this. Abraham is called to leave his inheritance. It is spoken of as his father's house in Scripture. And this is hugely significant. 
Leaving his inheritance is not only about the material possessions and the ownership of the land that would come to him through inheritance, you know, um, those things that were rightfully his from his father and his family line. But it's, always, it's also giving up that family line. It's no longer being a part of that. If he stayed, he would be responsible for the maintenance and the passing down of the household gods of his family. If he stayed, uh, he'd be responsible for caring for the elderly, and that was considered um, an honourable task, something that you should do uh, as a son and grandson. He would also be responsible for the offerings that had to be offered to ancestors long past. That was part of his role as well. But most significant, perhaps, is something that we see all throughout Scripture where a blessing is passed from the Father to the Son. He's severing that. He's cutting that off. He's no longer going to be a part of that line. That blessing won't pass from generation to generation anymore because he won't be any longer a part of that family group. And he gives it all up for this promise of God. A blessing where God will bless Abraham, where Abraham will be a blessing and where Abraham will be a conduit or channel of blessing to others. And the first thing that's mentioned here is this, where God will bless Abraham. That's speaking about the care and protection that God will put upon him. The second one where it speaks about where Abraham will be a blessing is talking about the protection and care and support that Abraham will provide for those who are placed in his care. Think about the story of Abraham pursuing Lot when he was captured and taken away. That's the blessing that God is going to give him there. And where Abraham is going to be a blessing himself, it's speaking about the blessing that others will receive because of who Abraham is and how he trusts God. And so wherever he settles, those around him will be blessed. And this is a word that God will fulfill despite Abraham being human. And God's word is continuously fulfilled despite us. And this is one of those things that I find so encouraging about the story of Abraham. He takes this massive step of faith in leaving everything and everyone. But he was still human. When he heads down to Egypt, which is later in chapter 12, they go there because of the drought. And he turns to his wife, Sarai, and this is what he says to her. Say you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, that my life may be spared for your sake. It wasn't 100% a lie, was it? He, she was sort of his sister, but it certainly wasn't the whole truth. And so he was very selective with what they were going to actually say to these people that he derived at. And he passes Sarai off as his sister rather than his wife. Now, I don't know what is going on in Egypt at that time with their women. Sarai is walking into this country at about 65. Apparently, she was incredibly beautiful. And at 65, the pharaoh chased her down. I don't get it. But anyway, this is scripture. This is what is said. I mean, she must have been, you know, a a bit like some of these beautiful Asian women I've seen who, you know, they look about 30 and they're actually 55, 60. Elena's got an aunt like that who used to be in the Chinese opera. The first time I met her, I couldn't believe that she was in her late 50s. But uh, that's where she was. So maybe maybe that's that's, um, exactly 
uh, what's going on here. But she's beautiful, and we're told that she's beautiful, and Abraham knows that when he comes into this land, he could get killed because of his wife and how beautiful she is. And so rather than trusting God, rather than seeking what God would have him to do, he goes, you know what, we've come into this place, and I don't know what he's thinking. Does he go, God needs my help now? Does he go, well, God's word's not going to be fulfilled because I'm going to be killed here? I don't, I don't know what he's thinking. I mean, I said before, I'm dumb. I've done things like this. and Man, have I done some stupid things. But the fact is, this didn't slip past God. And I'm sure that if Abraham had a step back rather than lying, God would have done something. And the thing is, there's many instances in, uh, of people lying in Scripture. And I think this is one of the things we can be encouraged about, that this is a true word. All our heroes, you know, Abraham, wouldn't it be awesome if he lived this holy, pure life where he never did anything wrong? What a hero. You know, I, I think, about, think about some of the other people that lied. You know, I mean, this guy did it again. This one really messes with my head. King Abimelech, he chased down Abraham's wife too. She was 90? Maybe these guys had trouble with their eyesight or something. <laughs> anyway, anyway, she was a beautiful woman, obviously. Rahab, the prostitute. There'll be people who say Rahab was blessed because she lied. No, she wasn't. Scripture is neutral. It doesn't say anything about Rahab's lies. And we'll never know what would have happened if she had her told the truth. What Rahab is commended for is her faith. She believed that God was going to do what he said he was going to do with his people. There is nowhere in Scripture where they actually say, this person lied and it was the right thing to do. If you can find it, please tell me. It's not a good thing to lie. Don't use these passages as justification to do so. The Bible never condones lies or actions of that type. And what is commended to those people and to Abraham was his faith. And obviously, their faith is not always strong. It's obvious that they don't always depend on God the way they should. And is that right and true for you? I'm guilty. Sometimes I think I'm getting on really well with God and usually it's at those times something comes along and I realize I messed up again. And this occasion is one of those occasions where Abraham messes up big time. He's afraid of what was going to happen. When he came into that land of Egypt, he was afraid of what the people were going to do to him. And rather than seeking God and what God would have him to do, he steps out on his own, in his own strength, his own abilities, with his own solution. Something that was brilliant, hey? I suppose we're blessed in hindsight where we can look back and go, what a meathead. But he thought he was doing the right thing. But the thing is, it gets him in a fair bit of trouble. And what we need to realize is that God's word is not yet fulfilled in Abraham. And so even despite what Abraham has done, God steps in and he makes a way for this to be sorted out. He allows Abraham to leave unharmed. And in fact, he allows Abraham to leave with many blessings. Pharaoh sends him off. He's ejected from the land, but he takes so much with him as a result of that. What's this mean for us? I want you to think about Abraham when he was called by God to receive the blessing that God had planned for him, he had to first give everything else up. His right to inheritance, his family beliefs, their gods, his security, his future. He had to trust God, that God would fulfill the word that he'd given him. 
And the call for us is exactly the same. Luke 9.23 says, And he said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. This obviously isn't for everyone. This is only for those who want to follow Christ and be in eternity with him. You have your choice to make. I, I know the choice I've made and I'm delighted with the choice many of my friends and family have made because I will be with them in eternity and in glory. And this imagery could not be any clearer. And we think about the day that this was written, the age that this was written in. And if someone had taken up their cross, there was a set path that they needed to follow. They had no right of recourse. All their earthly possessions, once they put that cross upon themselves, were gone. Their family, most likely, had disowned them and would have nothing more to do with them. Most of the family wouldn't even be present at the crucifixion. Any possessions that they had would have been taken by the guards if it hadn't been squandered and taken already. And so they're on this path to one place and one place only. They could not go left, they could not go right. They had no right of appeal. It was a set course. And so when we're called to follow the Lord Jesus Christ, it's exactly the same for us. What we once thought we valued, what we once thought was important, what we, what we once thought we should pursue, must be removed. It must go. We have no choice. It must be left behind. And if we genuinely believe this passage of Scripture, we will do this each and every day. We will set ourselves right before our Lord and Saviour, and we will question and ask Him to go with us. You and me together, Lord, what can we do today? And our desire will be to make that sacrifice for Him and His purposes and His kingdom. For us as Christians, that end that we have in sight is this incredible prize that is before us. It's a life that is submitted fully to Jesus, a life of obeying him. And we know we're going to stand in his presence and his glory come that day. When we think about Abraham, he had all these promises made to him. Did he see all of those promises fulfilled? No. There was many of those things that happened after he passed. But he believed that God was actually going to do it. And so when God's promises come to us, we can't expect that all the blessings that God is going to pour upon us will happen in this day and in this time. We have to believe that some of those blessings come when we will stand in his presence and his glory perfected on that day. But Abraham trusted God and believed that God would not allow his word to return void. The faith and trust that Abraham had is the same faith that we're called to have today. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And again, we've got to think about this athlete pushing on towards the prize. When we think about athletes in Scripture, what are we thinking? I've mentioned this only a few weeks ago. They're naked. 
That's how they competed. They threw off everything that would hinder them from competing in any, anything that would hold them back from competing at their best. And so when we think about Paul talking about pressing on towards that prize, it is this removing of everything that would hinder him from being all he can be for Christ and from gaining that at the end. Paul has just finished saying that everything that he had in the world, think about who this man is, Saul, every possession, every knowledge of the law, all the wisdom that he had, his status in society, his wealth, his favor, his fervor for religion, his respect amongst the religious leaders, all of it. He considers it to be rubbish in comparison to knowing the Lord Jesus Christ. And here, he's speaking about sharing in Christ's sufferings. Becoming like him in death. Think about Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane where he knew what was coming. And he begged God to make it happen another way if that was all possible. But in the end, Jesus submitted to God and his will. He said, still, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. And so Jesus was obedient to the very end. That's what Paul wants to do. He wants to be obedient to the very end, regardless of what happens. He wants to be faithful to his Lord and Saviour. I don't know about you, but I want to stand on that day, knowing that I acknowledge my Lord and Saviour as much as I could. Not because of who I am, not because of how great I am, but because of the surpassing greatness of knowing the Lord Jesus Christ. Is that your testimony? He's done incredible things in my life. I know some of you think I still suck. That's great. I don't mind because I know how far I've come. And I know all of it is because of who Jesus is, not because of who I am, because of the work that he has done. Jesus called Paul. Jesus called me and he's made us both his own. Do you understand and appreciate that? When we're all first called as Christians, we are called to obey all that God commands. Not just the bits that are convenient, not just the bits that are easy, but all of what God says in his word. It's quite clear in Scripture. If you love God, if you say you love God, we will do what he says. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I don't know about you. When I first gave my life to Jesus, I wanted to keep God's commandments perfectly. I wanted to obey him unconditionally. I don't. I wish I did. I still don't. I still wish I did. But the incredible thing is, one of the greatest things about our faith, the heroes in Scripture are just like us. They mess up. Abraham messed up. Is God's word going to become void? Is it not going to produce a harvest? Is it not going to return to him positively? I want you to think about this guy called Peter in the New Testament. When Jesus first called him, he said this. He said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. 
And I think we all know that. And, and, and so Peter, who was called Simon at this time, actually gets up and, and he follows Jesus. And I don't know exactly what happened, but um, there must have been something in the way Jesus said it. But uh, he does. He gets up and he follows Jesus. And then this guy, throughout his life with Jesus, he, he's incredibly... Uh, I don't know, I don't know, there's there's such big contrast. Sometimes you have these incredible moments of clarity about who Jesus is and what Jesus' purpose was. Sometimes he is just incredibly bold in the things that he does and the things that he says. Um, Think about the time when he's walking on the water and stuff like that. I'm not sure I would have actually got out of the boat. But he also has those times of incredible shame. And I think the pinnacle of that, especially for Peter, was when he denied Jesus three times. And the thing is, it's even worse because Jesus said, Peter, you're going to do this. And he said, no, man. He said, all these others, they might do it. They might fall away. They might bring you shame. They're going to mess up, Lord. I never will. You can count on me, Jesus. And straight away, he messed up. He did exactly that thing which Jesus had said he would do and which Peter said, there is absolutely no way. I will die first. And here's this ruined man. But has this word been fulfilled in Peter's life at that time? And the answer is no. Peter messed up. He messed up big time. And Jesus waits with arms outstretched to welcome him back. And we know that by the Sea of Galilee, he's restored. Right beside the Church of the Restoration, by the way, on the Sea of Galilee. And then something happens. Seven weeks after Jesus was crucified, this happens. Peter stands up, he lifts up his voice and he addresses addresses these people. He says, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. And he's standing before the crowd who seven weeks earlier were screaming crucify him and this man who didn't have the strength or courage to admit that he even knew Jesus is standing up and doing this and the message that he basically proclaimed was this Jesus is the son of God you killed him God raised him from the dead so you're sorry what a turnaround how incredible And Jesus' word way back when he first called Peter is now being filled. On this day, a bit over 2,000 years ago. And on that day, 3,000 men were added to the church because of this guy who messed up. Peter thought he'd blown it big time. There have been times I've thought that too. But our God's bigger than that. His word will not return to him void. He has a reason and a purpose for each and every one of us. Each and every one of us who calls upon him as Lord and Saviour. We are called to return to him again and again. We're called to submit to him. We're called to trust him. And when we are obedient, there is nothing and no one who can separate us from him. What's God saying to you this morning? 
we stand here, we bring the word, the word that we believe God would have us to bring. But it is hollow and pointless if you don't respond. I'm calling you to pray again. If you believe God's put his finger on your life, if you haven't been obedient as you should, if you haven't trusted the way you should, we need to pray. No judgment, no condemnation, just rejoicing because you have realized Holy Spirit is speaking to you, God is speaking to you, and he wants to draw you back. He wants to have relationship with you. Come forward after the service. More than happy to pray with you. If there's anything else you want to talk about, Pastor Brendan, Pastor Darrell's here, I'm here. You're surrounded by Christian friends and family. Let's get serious about our faith with God. Let's commit our ways to him. Let's trust him. And if each and every one of us did that, the unity that we would have in this place would be phenomenal. And we would all be headed in the right direction, the only direction that matters. And when we gather, this place will be shaken because of the presence and power of Holy Spirit. Let us pray. Father God, I thank you. You are almighty, all-powerful, omnipresent. And the actions and thoughts and mannerisms of men do not thwart your plans and purposes. And Lord, there's people present here this morning who think they've messed up to such a degree that you wouldn't possibly want them back. Thank you, Lord, that that is not true and that you stand waiting. Lord, we as a people desperately need you. And Lord, we want to know your plans and purposes for each of us as individuals. But Lord, we want to know your plans and purposes for SDBC. And we want to be found in the midst of that plan, one purpose, one aim, one goal. And Lord, we want your name to be honoured and glorified first and foremost in this place and then to our wider community. So Father, do your work this morning. Call people forward who need to pray. Leave them no doubt, Lord, that must take action. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.